0: folks, pull up a chair and join us on this adventure we call the Good Judgment Podcast. The episode notes for this incredibly entertaining
1: and informative episode that you are about to consume are available at goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Paget, And I am still, as I
0: sit here, tame Cal.
1: Tane, it has been great to be back here in the classic oh, city, I know, man. recording in this awesome podcast studio located deep within the bowels of the University of Georgia College of Law.
0: Yeah, you know, we've really been blessed with the cooperation and assistance of a lot of people, but we honestly could not have gotten this podcast off the ground without the assistance of the University of Georgia College of Law. Thanks again to the Lumpkin Law School and the wonderful staff and leadership of the Law School for helping us launch and continue this podcast. And specifically, a shout out to our man, Jim Henneberger, and the folks that work with him in the IT department at the Law School for their unwavering help and support, and also for occasionally coming to... and helping me get the smart board in my classroom to work
1: (laughs) (laughs) this is this is a great podcast studio here at the UGA law school team yeah I was looking through our old emails and came across a great podcast topic to talk about here in our room here today we got it from FOP judge Warren Davis
0: Warren shout out buddy love you keep listening so uh, he's our friend from Gwinnett County, and uh, he must have sent you an email to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. He did, in fact,
1: do that. And it, while it was a while ago, and I, to be honest with you, he sent it a long time ago, and I apologize for not teeing this topic up sooner. I just I'm, I misplaced the email.
0: So Judge Davis suggested that we might want to discuss the First Offender Act and the conditional discharge statute. We really appreciate him looking out for us and giving us this great idea. Psst. Wait, did he happen to send an outline and do all the research also? Also, Because that would really be awesome. No, but
1: he did send us some cases. Oh, wow. So he planted the seed and it's our job to water
0: it and make it grow. Wow. What a gardening metaphor. Well, watch me water. Uh, that may be a first for the podcast. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah. But anywho. If you have an
1: idea for the for an episode topic, please send it to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com.
0: This episode will be a full will be full of statutory and case law citations, folks. So you can find the outline, as always, at goodjudgepod.com. So Wade, let's get started watering and pruning, first offender, and conditional discharge. I'm really not sure this gardening metaphor is working for me. Yeah, I understand.
1: So look. I guess we need to start our conversation today by letting some angels get their wings. Sweet. For folks new to the podcast... Whenever we cite a statute, an angel gets his or her wings. Every time a statute is cited, an angel gets his wings.
0: Folks, our our regular regular listeners know just how often these episodes contain citations to statutes and how many angels get their wings. We will try to cut that down a bit today. Just know that wings are being distributed when we cite the statutes, even if we don't play the funny sounder.
1: Because First Offender and Conditional Discharge are both purely statutory creations, Tane, there's going to be a bunch of statutory citations during today's episode. We can't really avoid it. Yeah. We'll leave, the, leave it to the magic of Stephen Turner and Turner Up Media. Turner Up! To decide where to strategically place those sound effects.
0: Uh. We do not want to make our listeners crazy about overdoing the sound effects. Us? Overdo something? No. Perish the thought. No. Anyway, all right. First offender and conditional discharge are very similar, but at the same time, very different things under Georgia law.
1: Although many of our listeners probably have some familiarity, 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 yeah, that word with first offender in general, we are going to adhere to our usual plan of discussing legal topics in a way that my mom, not a lawyer, hey mom, can understand. Shout out mom.
0: Yeah. So, as a general rule, when a judge imposes a criminal criminal sentence, either as a result of a guilty plea or as a result of a jury verdict that defendant is, quote unquote, convicted of the crime involved.
1: There's an exception to that rule for defendants who have not previously been convicted of a felony, giving the defendant a second chance to avoid having the conviction on his or her record, assuming they meet the qualifications of one of these two, I guess, second chance statutes.
0: Now, to be clear, a defendant only has one opportunity to request a first offender sentence, and he or she can use it on a misdemeanor. Usually a bad idea, but it happens far more than you might imagine. You
1: can't have a second chance a third time. That'd be a third chance, thing. Who's counting?
0: Anyway, anyway. Yeah. There are a couple of different second chance statutes, and we're going to talk about both today. Um, we're going to focus on first offender, though, and conditional discharge.
1: So let's start with first offender, OCGA 42-8-60. Every time a statute is cited, an angel gets his wings. First offender creates a situation where the court is not adjudicating the defendant guilty at that time. Instead, the judge is withholding adjudication. That's a special phrase, withholding adjudication, pending the defendant's successful or, I guess, unsuccessful completion of the sentence that they impose.
0: As we'll discuss in a moment, in this section of this episode dealing with, pr- with practice points, phrasing by the judge during the sentencing hearing may prove vitally important as to whether the defendant initially receives a first offender sentence or was simply sentenced for the offenses. So stay tuned for that and why it matters.
1: As judges are prone to tell defendants, first offender has an upside and a downside. If the defendant completes the sentence, he or she can honestly say without any hesitation that they have not been, quote, convicted of a crime as a result of that incident. That is, I guess, the upside.
0: I guess it is. The
1: second chance to avoid becoming a convicted person.
0: And now the downside. That is, if the person doesn't successfully complete the terms of the sentence, the judge can choose to revoke the first offender's status, adjudicate the defendant guilty, and impose a sentence, usually in connection with a revocation hearing.
1: Now, judges typically always have the ability to conduct a revocation hearing on any kind of criminal sentence, first offender or otherwise. Whether it involves first offender or not, it's almost irrelevant. First right. offender, but a first offender sentence, I guess, is a little different and has potentially a significant consequences for the defendant.
0: That's right. First offender has a special provision that allows the court upon revocation to revoke first offender status and impose up to the maximum sentence that could have been imposed minus any credit the defendant has earned prior to the revocation.
1: This allows a judge, if you want to use the phrase leverage against the defendant, greater leverage, because then they would have sort of under a typical sentence. As we're going to discuss in a moment, conditional discharge is a little different in terms of credit, but we'll we'll, we'll get there today. It might be easier, Tane, to give an example so that people can appreciate how the potential of revocation of a first offender sentence is different than the revocation of any other just basic criminal sentence in a revocation context. So why don't you give the folks an example?
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. So the defendant is charged with burglary in the first degree. The sentence may range from one to 20 years. In a non-first offender sentence, assume the judge sentenced the defendant to 10 years to be served on probation. Further assume that in year three, the defendant committed another burglary in the first degree, which really almost never happens. But anyway, for purposes of this example, uh, which triggered a revocation hearing on the initial case. After the hearing, the defendant was revoked. The maximum amount of time that could be revoked is seven years, because that's the balance of the sentence to which he was originally uh, the sentence that was originally imposed um, against him.
1: Now assume that same 10 year probated sentence, but assume that that initial sentence was imposed under the first offender. Act. again, in year three chain, that same defendant commits that same second burglary burglary in the first degree. I know shocking because that sentence was imposed under the first offender. Act, the judge could revoke first offender, adjudicate him or her guilty on that, of that initial offense and potentially impose a sentence of 17 years. That is twenty years minus credit for the three years that has been served without incident.
0: I'm not good at math, Wade, but that's worse than the ten years in the first scenario.
1: Yeah, you could could have revoked seven. Now you can revoke seventeen. Right. I think the difference is ten.
0: Yeah, I think you're right.
1: Under both, and again,
0: I'm still not good at math. (laughs)
1: Under both scenarios, the defendant would still face whatever punishment for that new offense. We're not trying to get people lost. Right. It's just the fact that on the initial offense, there is a greater potential sentence under a First Offender Act than sentence than there would be under a traditional
0: sentence. And Wade, that's the downside of First Offender. The court retains the ability to re-sentence up to the maximum that could have initially been imposed, minus the credit that the defendant got under supervision without incident. Well, so, or until he got caught.
1: <laughs> what are the qualifications, Tane? I, I, we're we're going to call them qualifications, but some of them are disqualifications. So let's talk about what What do you have to, what's the situation that has to exist for somebody to get a first offender sentence? You
0: well, tell them the first one. Well, first of all, it, it and again, we're, we're kind of talking about felony sentencing here, but I mean, first of all, it has to be a first offense. In other words, um, the statute begins by defining what defendants are eligible to receive a first offense by saying... When a defendant has not been previously convicted of a felony, so that's that's the first part, the court may, upon a guilty verdict or plea of guilty or no low contendere, and before an adjudication of guilt, without entering judgment of guilt and with the consent of the defendant, defer further proceedings and, number one, place the defendant on probation or, number two, Sentenced the defendant to a term of confinement. Reading law during a podcast is not awesome. So let's break this down a little bit because it is a bit confusing when lawyers and judges refer to first offender as first offender probation. As the statute points out, under first offender, a defendant can be sentenced to straight probation or time in confinement or a split sentence that includes both probation and confinement. And it can still be considered under first offender.
1: Correct. That's the first qualification, that the defendant has never been previously convicted of a felony anywhere on the planet.
0: Right. Not just in this jurisdiction or in this state.
1: So, yes, a prior conviction for a felony in another state does disqualify you for from receiving first offender or a federal sentence or a felony in another country. And the court, Tain, and this is something that I don't know that I've ever seen anybody try to do. You can't suspend a sentence, fully suspend a sentence that is made under the First Offender Act. I don't know why you would want to, but you can't do that.
0: Yeah. And, and and I don't want to get real caught up in the details on this, but if you're trying to figure out if a crime that occurred in another country or another state was a felony, you, you look at whether or not it would have qualified as a felony based on usually the sentence that was imposed in the other state or country. Correct.
1: Because just for example, Tane, South Carolina has misdemeanor possession of methamphetamine and cocaine.
0: What? I'm sorry that was me not the sounder. Um all right uh, okay the second qualification is that the defendant cannot have previously been sentenced under the First Offender Act, even for a misdemeanor. So uh, understand what that means, folks. You say, well, well, of course they haven't been because it said right there they couldn't have been convicted. First offender is not a conviction. So they can't have already used first offender. Because that'd be a second offender. Because that'd be second offender. And that wouldn't make any sense. And if the law in Georgia is anywhere consistent, it is that it always makes sense. So- <laughs> I don't know
1: how to make that a joke sounder.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what? yeah, whatever. Uh, anyway, but saying so- it's becoming more and more popular
1: for lawyers to request first offender for misdemeanors and and I think that that it's not malpractice because you you don't have a crystal ball any more than the, than anybody else does right. but but if if you previously have been convicted of a misdemeanor and you get charged with a felony, you can use first offender. You saw the statute says you can't previously been convicted of a felony, right? But the other the opposite is not true. If you use first offender on a misdemeanor, you've used it. That's right. And so your first felony, even if it's a low grade felony or whatever, you now are a convicted felon.
0: That's right. So again, the second qualification is that the defendant has never previously used first offender for any type of case.
1: And finally we come to the third qualification, or you might say disqualification. And I'm gonna be honest with you, this is the part of this statute that I end up looking at. You know, having to look up and open a book and break the spine on a book more often, the puzzle, I guess, that makes it first offender. And that is the sentence being imposed cannot be for particular offenses. Right. So the disqualifying offenses can be found in subsection J of that statute. And I'm, we're not going to read that to everybody, but the statute. I heard
0: some cheering <laughs> know, from the that. audience. Wow.
1: The statute provides that no defendant who is charged with certain crimes may be sentenced under the first offender act the statute references i don't know a dozen other statutes so it says for example a serious violent felony as defined in ocga whatever
0: yeah i always love it when they do that yeah. to us in statutes
1: so we're not going to read all that but we are going to tell you the types of cases and we've got the statute citations in our outline you can find that at goodjudgepod.com but we're let's let's tell the people the types of cases That you can't use first
0: offender. Sure. So the first one you said, serious violent felony. Then a
1: sexual offense. And that's a pretty broad definition. We'll come back to it.
0: Right. Trafficking of persons for labor or sexual servitude. Sometimes called human trafficking. Right. Neglecting
1: disabled adults, elder persons or residents or exploitation and intimidation of disabled
0: adults, elder persons or residents. Sexual sexual exploitation of a minor.
1: Electronically furnishing obscene material to a minor or computer pornography and exploitation. Those are kind of related.
0: Right. Um, and a number of offenses against a peace officer during the performance of his or her official duties things like aggravated assault, aggravated battery, obstruction of a law enforcement officer uh, that involves results in serious physical harm or injury to the officer.
1: And finally, and interestingly, DUI.
0: Right. No first offender.
1: No first offender for those offenses. So it'd be Tane, it would be kind of mind-numbing for us to reference all these statutes like 1710-6.1, 1710, 6.2. Every time a statute is cited, an angel gets his wings. That define the term serious violent felony or sexual offense. So we're not going to subject our listeners to that torture, Tane. And
0: I think that's wise.
1: If you think of the disqualifying statute, disqualifying statutes as Serious violent felonies, sex offenses, human trafficking, exploitation of el- elderly or children, child porn, and serious obstruction of officer cases. You're going to probably get the answer right.
0: And, and, and in the uh, exploitation of uh, adults, uh, senior adults, and and, those also, and handicapped. Ha- also handicapped. Yeah, person. I should have so said that's right. handicapped. Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
1: But we promised to hit some highlights or unexpected types of disqualifying disqualifying cases. So I'll start with the first one. First offender cannot be used for a DUI. Now, I have had sentences, tame what I've imposed, where the defendant was charged with multiple offenses, received first offender sentence on all the counts except DUI. For example, the clerk who helps me write the the statute may say in a four-count indictment where count three is a DUI, first offender is applied on counts one, two, and four, but not on three, where it, which is a DUI. Right. Because you might have a felony, a felony fleeing or a possession of firearm or, yeah, you know, They may have injured, or they injured
0: a peace officer, obstructed yeah. an officer with yeah. a result in an injury, that sort of thing. Right. And, and I've had that too where, you there's, there's just one offense in there that you can't, uh, but they want to use it.
1: So, cause they have no prior felonies. Mm-hmm. So this will be their only opportunity to use it. They just can't use it on a, on, on the count that charges DUI. Right.
0: Right. Um, Be aware that some of the sexual offenses you might imagine would be included in the sexual offenses statute are actually listed under the statute dealing with serious violent felonies, Uh, things like rape and aggravated child molestation, uh, those types of things. So just be aware of what's contained in those statutes.
1: I will tell you from experience, a person who is charged with arson is eligible. A, in first degree, a person charged with aggravated assault, as long as it's not an aggravated assault related to either a, an officer in the line of duty or a sex offense.
0: That's right. So let's move on to the second topic, Wade. Let's talk about what we, we refer to as, in the law as conditional discharge. So OCGA 16-13-2.
1: Every time a statue is cited, an angel gets his wings. Is addressed primarily to drug offenses and non violent, I guess, drug-related property crimes.
0: That's right. Now, without reading that statute to you in its entirety, we understand that the statute only applies to possession of illegal drugs or marijuana. It does not apply to possession with intent to distribute or sale or manufacture any other drug or crime beyond mere possession.
1: I think people get that wrong. Yeah, I do too. There's a case that kind of did the... um, the, the word gymnastics to to try to d- define that statute. And they said possession means possession and only possession.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty clear.
1: So additional discharge is available to defendants charged for the first time with nonviolent It's also available, I guess, beyond possession to defendants charged for the first time with nonviolent property crimes, which in the judgment of the court had some relationship to abuse or addiction to controlled substances or alcohol.
0: Yeah. And the ones you frequently find that are interrelated are theft crimes. I mean, we see those we see those all the time.
1: The maximum time a defendant can be sentenced under 16-13-2 for a drug offense is three years. And if you did one of the property crimes, it's five years. But now here is where, oh, by the way, restitution must be paid as a condition of the probated sentence. So you, you don't get to walk away from the restitution piece. But there are some similarities tame with first offender, but there are some important differences. Let's talk about that for a minute. That's right.
0: Yeah, sure. So just like with the first offender sentence, the court is withholding adjudication um, and placing conditions on the defendant that should include Court-approved drug treatment could be a drug court, could be a private treatment program, could be uh, you know whatever whatever seems appropriate in that case. Um, Also, like a first offender sentence, the defendant must consent to and uh, cannot have previously been convicted of an offense under Article Two or Article Three of this chapter. Essentially, no prior drug offense. I love when they do that too. Under Article
1: Two and Three of this chapter, I got to go back and get my chapter and articles and sections. But now there's you mean
0: JB does? Yeah, JB does.
1: Yeah, shut up. However, there is an important difference between first offender and conditional discharge, and I think this is going to raise some raised eyebrows among our listeners, Tane. Right. The defendant does not get credit for time on probation under a conditional discharge sentence.
0: If a revocation occurs.
1: If a revocation occurs. Exactly.
0: Exactly. If there is a revocation of a conditional discharge sentence, the court essentially goes back to the date of sentencing and can impose any sentence allowed for the initial offense.
1: The conditional discharge statute does not anticipate any incarceration period as being a part of the sentence. That's kind of different than first offender. You right. can't, you can't sentence someone to prison under the conditional discharge statute.
0: Yeah, you can have you under first offender, you can have split Absolutely. sentences, you can have confinement, that sort of thing. A revocation hearing, uh is simply a probation revocation hearing where this sentence initially imposed was under the First Offender Act or conditional discharge statute.
1: And I mean, we we recently recorded a whole episode on on probation revocation hearings, Tain, So we're not going to completely rehash that today, are
0: we? No, but. A judge is not required to revoke first offender statute if it is determined that the defendant has violated the terms of a probation. But the judge clearly is authorized to revoke the first offender status if they want to. And I'll be the first to admit there have been many times where I did not revoke first offender status just because we had a revocation. It it was totally the circumstances. It, it, it depended on what was going on in that particular case.
1: And I probably do more often than not. But I, I do understand there might be a what, what, what we may call a technical violation that if it's a new offense, I usually did. Yeah. If it's a technical violation, that's a 50 50, depending on the situation.
0: Well, and, and I was a little bit different and it came. It probably stemmed from a lot of involvement in drug court. But but if, for example, if somebody had a a pretty classic relapse <laughs> that caused them to show up positive for a drug screen, but it was they were in treatment, and the treatment people were saying, "Yeah, this is this is a relapse. It it happens. We're we're treating it. You know, otherwise he's doing well. You know, w- we might let him continue in treatment. You know, particularly if it was early on, first thirty days or something like that." Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification. Folks, this is Wade
1: and Tain. You're listening to the Good Judgment podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast, and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com we're always looking for suggested podcast topics, please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And tell your friends.
0: It's how we get to grow our listenership. Thanks. And now back to our studio audience. Upon proof
1: that the defendant has violated the terms of the conditions of the sentence under first offender or conditional discharge, the judge can elect to – let's just talk about first offender right now. Okay. Return the defendant to probation, leaving that first offender status in place. Revoke some portion of the existing sentence and leave the first offender in place. Or revoke the first offender status status and completely resentence the defendant to the maximum up to the maximum sentence that could have been initially imposed at the time of the original sentencing, of course, with credit.
0: I'm just curious, Wade, how much of the time do you generally go back and re-sentence to a sentence that's... greater Greater than what the original sentence was frequently. Yeah.
1: Um, Only because that's the downside of first offender. Sure. And if you just basically give them what it it depends on what's remaining on the sentence too. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you say, well, I'm going to find that you've committed a new offense or whatever, and I'm going to give you only what's left of the original sentence. Sometimes the downside to first offender wasn't felt right. And, and I'm not trying to be the, the world's police here, but at the same time, I, I think that's important. Would you do the same?
0: Yeah. Or if it was a new offense. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, the other option you have, obviously, is for them to serve a portion of that in confinement, which they didn't have before as part of their probationary sentence. So, you know, that also emphasized the downside of first offender by being able to reimpose that.
1: This is a big caveat that all the statutes and the cases make a huge deal of. And I want to make sure everybody's clear on. The caveat is that under first offender, the defendant has to and must be get credit for time that they were under sentence, quote unquote, without issue. In other words, where there was not a revocation pending. So that's not so with, with conditional discharge. We talked about right. no credit, no no credit given. The court can simply go back to whatever maximum sentence could have been imposed originally and impose it. There's start no all over. Right. Yeah. We gave the example earlier about how to give credit for the time that the defendant was on probation under a first offender sentence, and we talked about how you do that. Let's talk about the phrasing for a minute. One of the key phrases that my probation officers have beat into me, shout out Gina Childs, gina is that judges need to include in first offender revocation sentences above and beyond. In other words, if you are intending the time that they've been on probation to count and you're trying to give a sentence that is taking that into credit above and beyond what they've already done, you need to say that. Yeah. Otherwise, they're going to get credit for that time that they have, say, the, the two years they've been on probation, they're going to get credit for that on the two years confinement that you've imposed. So how much more time are they going to do? None. Zero, right. Right. So let's discuss a specific example. I know you love reading examples.
0: I do. So at the initial sentencing under first offender, the, de- the defendant was sentenced to five years on probation. He or she messes up in year two, resulting in a revocation. If the maximum sentence that could have been imposed was 10 years and it is the judge's goal to have the defendant serve time in confinement for two years and then have an additional five years on probation, assuming the judge also intends to revoke the first offender, the judge would impose the sentence of two years in confinement, followed by five years on probation above and beyond, quote unquote, any time the defendant had previously served under first offender. That sentence would give the defendant credit for the time for the time that had been served first under the first offender statute as required and would still be less than the maximum sentence that could have initially imposed, which was the 10 years.
1: So say now we hate math here on the Good Judgment Podcast. Boy, do we hate math. But let's do a little bit of math. If okay. 10
0: years was the max. I, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm not gonna be over here aggravated that we're doing math, but go ahead.
1: If 10 years had been the initial max. Yeah. Two years credit because it was in year two that the revocation happened. Yeah. You sentence them to two years in confinement plus five years on probation. Yeah. Five plus two plus two. What does that equal to?
0: I threw up a little bit in my mouth.
1: Nine. That equals nine. Nine is less than okay, ten. Nine is
0: less than ten. So okay. So
1: that's less than the max. That's a legit okay. sentence. All right. It's important to remember <sighs> that while the judge has the authority, Let's get away from math, wait. That while the judge has the authority to revoke. That authority ends when the term of probation ends. And that seems like a really obvious... thing but <laughs> apparently not obvious no it's there's not obvious court, yeah there's, there's some, appellate some court cases that say
0: you know the sentence was already over <laughs> right when you did that stop imposing <laughs> conditions the sentence is over. all right we're going to talk about something next that, that is has, near and dear to your heart it's near and dear to my heart and has always been confusing i'll admit to you um, and i remember when this came in be, became a thing and so do you because we were both on the bench and people went, i'm still on the bench people people went nuts they lost their mind. <laughs> they did lose their collective mind. So we're going to talk about behavioral incentive dates or BID, bid. Don't that's call it. them it, don't, but don't call it a bid because that's a whole other bid. thing. It Just is call a, a whole other thing. That's right. So go start us off, Wade. So
1: these first offender and conditional discharge cases frequently involve relatively new feature in the judicial landscape in Georgia that we have previously discussed on prior episodes, the, the BID. But we discussed the BID on kind of often, frankly, on this podcast. And we're going to do it again here with a little more detail because we're not at all confident that our judge colleagues and friends and lawyers really understand what it is.
0: And yeah. What it means. And I think part of that, too, I'll give them a little bit of a break, is that I think there's also some misunderstandings with prosecutors as to what it is and how it applies. And they don't particularly like it all that much. And I get that. So. Sometimes they just omit any reference to the BID, and it's up to us as judges, you guys as judges, to remember uh, that you need to do this. It's required. So
1: so if imposing a sentence for a first offender conditional discharge, the sentence is either straight probation or split sentence, or I guess it could be straight incarceration. But here's the statute. If you're imposing a sentence for a first offender or a conditional discharge, and the sentence is either straight probation or a split sentence with no more than one year in confinement and the defendant has no prior felony conviction. The court is, and I'm going to put it in bold and italics required to set a BID of no more than three years. So I, I have a confession. I'm, this is, this is our day of, of confessions. I have another confession. Yes, my son. I have imposed a BID of a three years yes. when three years was the maximum sentence. Okay. I, I'm just letting everybody doesn't, know. Doesn't I have done much, that.
0: Doesn't seem like much of an incentive, Wade.
1: But it's, there you go. <laughs> if, I mean, if I had- wanted, You ain't
0: in the business of incentivizing. If I, if
1: I had wanted to give somebody two years, I'd have given them two years. I got gotcha. you. Anyway.
0: I got gotcha. you.
1: Within 60 days of the BID expiring- Assuming there have been no recent revocations, no restitution owed, and no subsequent convictions for anything more than a, mi- a non-serious traffic offense. Probation, the Department of Community Supervision, must notify the court and the prosecutor that basically the, the time is running. Community supervision then provides the judge an order to terminate probation. Theoretically. Unless, unless there's objection by the prosecutor. Right. And the judge shall, shall is the word, shall, so they use required. That's somewhat
0: mandatory, isn't it? Yeah,
1: they use required and shall. Okay. Execute that order terminating probation.
0: This is not discretionary, people. (laughs) Neither the inclusion of the behavioral incentive date in the sentence, nor the signing of the termination order, unless there's an objection by the prosecutor, is discretionary.
1: As judges, we don't really frankly have the authority to decide which of the laws that we decide to enforce and those that we decide not to enforce the ones that we like and don't like Tain. we don't get to pick which laws we like and enforce those and just simply say fooey on the others
0: not really our option as judges so-
1: i think some of the judges honestly don't impose the bid because it th- they think that it 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 limits their ability to impose a sentence or to have this sentence carried out. Uh, Let's, but let's be honest. This is such a small niche group, no prior convictions or first offender conditional discharge and no more than one year in prison. Right. That's the only time a BID is required. Right. So,
0: and and I think part of the time we just forget. I mean, it's again, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird category. That's right. Unless you use Wade's outline, uh, which is pretty awesome. And you can find it at, where? What?
1: Well, we give it to the new judges at NJO. Right. But all of this is gonna be found at goodjudgepod.com. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So practice points right. for judges. So yes.
1: let's talk about judges who are trying to impose a first offender or conditional discharge sentence. Okay.
0: Sure. So it's of vital importance for the judge in imposing the sentence. Not that that the judge not make a finding of guilt. As judges who have our sentencing outline already know, there is specific language that the judge should use when imposing a first offender sentence that avoids the judge verbally stating that he or she is adjudicating the defendant guilty. Consider
1: Tane, and I don't. I'm sure y'all probably had some version of this. We call it a voluntariness order, that is a written order saying I find the defendant understood his rights that he had knowing, intelligent waiver. Mm-hmm. If that form concludes with, and I accept his guilty plea, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Because the case law is pretty clear that, um, that unless you withhold adjudication, that that is not a first offender sentence. So if you even if you say the words first offender after finding that person guilty, that's mm-hmm. a problem. Mm-hmm. So this is probably a great time for you to look at your forms mm-hmm. and make sure <laughs> that your form doesn't, it doesn't conclude that way.
0: Yeah, we we had a major rewrite of all of our forms about two years before I got well, probably about four or five years before I left the bench. It was a it was a big operation, but it was a very necessary operation because yeah. there were a lot of little things like this that we had just glossed over, just kind of missed. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I certainly recommend that to all of you judges listening. So out there. either
1: update your form or have a separate form for first offender. Yes. Those are your sort of your two options. Yes. There's case law and and we've cited it in here and you can get it in the episode notes where the judge verbally pronounced a defendant guilty may have included some of that written documentation as well associated with a plea and they and they they found that even the judge was trying to impose a first offender sentence that, that finding of guilt meant that the the sentence terminated in the maximum amount of time that could have been revoked. Was the amount of time originally imposed minus credit? Right, you couldn't come back and do like we talked about in our earlier example, where there was have a a seven years max versus seventeen years max available to revoke. They said no, no, you you're limited because you said he was guilty, and you didn't withhold adjudication. So that's right. Um, one more practice point, I guess. Tell them about the. The OCGA 42-8-61. Don't read the statute, but but let's give some people some wings. Every time a statute is cited, an angel gets his wings.
0: That statute, I'm not going to repeat it again because then another angel will get its wings and it'll get confusing. Um, that statute requires the judge to inquire whether the defendant is requesting first offender sentence when the judge is imposing sentence. Now, look, just because you ask the defendant whether they're asking for it doesn't mean that you're planning to give it you are required to ask whether they are requesting first offender if there is an appearance that they're eligible for first offender so that you know whether, again, whether or not this defendant is is, is requesting that you sentence under first offender or conditional discharge.
1: There's no similar requirement for conditional discharge. Good there's point. No, no, yeah, no that's send, a good point. It is first offender. Right. No requirement that you ask. But again, to be clear, there's no requirement that you impose the first offender sentence merely because you ask. It is simply to ask. Yes. So, and finally, I guess one other practice point: a defendant must consent to both a first offender and a conditional discharge sentence. And you, you can't impose that against their will.
0: Well, and, and you might say, well, why? Why wouldn't they want it? Well, they. A lot of people decline first offender because they know they're likely to reoffend, and you can go back and resentence them to a harsher sentence. And so, I I, I always have that colloquy with them and the lawyer, which is, Have you explained the upside and the downside, uh, you know, to the defendant? Yes. Does he wish to? request first offender? No, your honor, he does not. Is that right, Mr. Defendant? You don't want to? Nope. I've talked to my lawyer about it and I don't think it's in my best interest. OK, you're you're making a smart decision in your case.
1: <laughs> it's so funny, Tane, when you get to talking off script, because sometimes you mention things inadvertently that we are going to mention in the <laughs> podcast because, of course, you've not read. Them. No,
0: know. of course I have not. I don't so, like to spoil the ending.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned earlier whether to impose first offender sentences is discretionary, right? We talked about it being discretionary. And as we have discussed in prior episodes and We try to repeat over and over again, when you have discretion and you refuse to exercise it in certain types of cases, that is an abuse of discretion. That's right. More importantly, it's reversible error. Yes. So there are several cases in the first offender arena where a judge indicated on the record that he or she just would not impose first offender for that type of offense. Putting aside for a minute, why did we need to have that discussion? there are the case law says clearly that's an abuse of discretion and more importantly reversible error
0: good point now just because the statute allows for the judge to depart from mandatory minimums with the consent of the parties that does not mean that the judge can choose to impose a first offender sentence as a part of that deviation if the first offender is not allowed for that particular type of offense in so, other words you can't mm-hmm. bootstrap first offender into being applicable if it's one of those specifically cited offenses for which first offender is not allowable.
1: One last thing under the practice point section, well, I guess one of the last things, Judge Davis, shout out, when he sent us the topic idea, ask a question rhetorical, I guess, that he thought might be good for us to answer here because he's probably heard it from other judges. When you impose conditions on the original sentence, the initial sentence, mm-hmm. and you end up revoking first offender, which one of those conditions survive the revocation? And would it be a better idea to just re-sentence and restate the conditions you want to apply if some part of the new sentence is going to involve probation? And as he suggested, and you and I agreed, the better practice is just to resentence them cleanly. Absolutely. Give them credit. But then resentence to whatever fine you wanted, whatever special conditions whatever ever wanted, whatever other conditions that you want to be of the probated portion of that sentence, because even if the <clears throat> judge announces that the the pre all the previous conditions will apply to this case, at least that.
0: Right. Uh, and. and- I would try to I would try to remind myself that we just needed to treat this as if it was a brand new sentence saying that nothing had ever happened before and go in and restate it as if it was a a, a starting from scratch new sentence so that it would be clear both on the record and hopefully on the documentation that we were you know, making a part of the record as well.
1: One last practice point. I'm going you to ask keep you, saying one know, last practice know, point, which
0: is a total lie. <laughs> Penultimate. No, yeah. This is the final. This is it. This is it. Summit. The, we have reached the mountaintop.
1: The defendant is required to be informed in a first offender case at the time of sentencing that he will get credit. He or she will get credit if the case is ultimately revoked and he is, he or she is adjudicated guilty. Now, Tane, I do have a question for you. Mm hmm. Did y'all have forms for first offender? Yes. Which kind of put all that stuff that you would get credit and all that. Yes. So you didn't have to say it verbally? Yes. See, I say it
0: verbally. Well, I said it verbally too. Oh, okay. I mean, we had a, it was the same as, as the sentencing, you know, I always said everything out loud, even though it was already on the form that they had signed, just because I thought... Sometimes people sign stuff without reading them, Wade. I, Some people I, can't read. Crazy. Yeah. Some people can't read. Some people can't understand things well. Some don't speak English as a first language. I mean, so I would say the things out loud and and make sure that it looked, sounded like they were understanding.
1: And I and and it's a good idea to do it during the colloquy when you're doing the sentencing. So yeah. just do it. It's just easier. Yep. Not just because Tane did it.
0: No. I mean, a lot of things that's just follow my lead on. But still, I mean.
1: So that's all for today's discussion of the First Offender Act and Conditional Discharge Statute. There is a ton of law on these topics. We've only scratched the surface. So I hope that we address the highlights and you'll give you a good starting point in our outline.
0: Shout out to FOP, friend of the podcast, Judge Warren Davis in Gwinnett County for the idea and also even possibly more important for some case citations to get us started.
1: While first offender and conditional discharge are similar, they're also very different, and the differences are really important to understand.
0: Do not announce that you will not ever under any circumstances impose a first offender sentence on a particular type of case. That is a failure to exercise discretion, and we'll get you reversed.
1: Also, take a minute look over your forms. This is probably a great reminder that every once in a while you just need to grab the forms that you've been using for decades and make sure they still comply with the law and make sense. Make sure you're not regularly making findings that contradict what you and everybody else in the room think you're trying to accomplish.
0: Like finding a defendant guilty before imposing first offender. Yeah,
1: that's problematic.
0: Yes. So folks, look for the uh, episode outline on goodjudgepod.com. And please, by all means, send us your thoughts and ideas to goodjudgepod at gmail.com.
1: So the time has come, Tame, for that hotly anticipated music trivia section of the podcast. Tane, take it away.
0: I love this. Um, You know, I think it's interesting that we're getting as many music trivia requests as we are episode topic requests. But anyway, we haven't spent much time in the area of country music. So today, let's talk about 90s and the double aughts, the 2000s country music. More specifically, let's talk about Mr. Toby Keith. You know, Toby is struggling with some health problems currently as he fights stomach cancer. Prayer's up. But in the 1990s and 2000s, he was a hit-making machine in the world of country music. No no question about that. He holds the distinction of having put out the song that has been referred to as the most played country song in the 1990s. It was Toby's first single. Any idea what that was? There is a hint. There is a hint. I'm going to be honest, I would have missed this one. I should have been a cowboy was the song. Do you remember that song? Yeah. I, I should have been a cowboy. Should have learned to rope and ride. Oh, wait, that yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Isn't that yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Toby had 20 number one country songs and another 22 reached the top 10 on the country charts. He's, so he's doing i He's i He's aight. He's a'ight. Uh, he had two different songs that each spent six weeks as the number one single on the country charts. One was... Beer for My Horses. Great song. Whiskey for My Men. Uh, can you name the other one? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so many. It's yeah, many. it really is. Six, Six weeks in the number one slot. Beer for My Horses. No. I, let, I, let me read the hint. It's lo- okay. It was
1: number one in 2006.
0: 2006. Yeah, that doesn't help me. Time, time is fluid in my head now. Uh, okay. It was... As good as I once was, of course. Yeah, great song. Great song, Uh, which is kind of my anthem now, too. Uh, Toby's real name is Toby Keith Covell. He was born and raised in Oklahoma, not shockingly, and he has always been known for his patriotism. Following 9 11, he released the song Courtesy of the Red, White, and boo. Blue. Not Boo. Not Boo. That's a different That's song. That's a different song. Yeah. Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. We're going to put a boot in it. Now, never mind. Um, in that song, someone is shaking a fist. Who was it? Lady Liberty. Lady Liberty. Uh, Singing in my head. Yeah. Give up. No. Statue of Liberty. Yeah. And Toby has another popular patriotic song that followed, courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. It was released as part of his "Shockin' Y'all" album in Get two thousand. I love that yeah. "Shockin' Y'all." Remember the name of that song? And I, I couldn't remember the name of it. I yeah, remember you do. the song. Yeah, you do. Now, well, I already looked accidentally. Uh-huh. "American Soldier" also hit a number one for Toby Keith. One final Toby question. This is a final. One. As good as I once was, uh, complete these lyrics, folks. I used to be hell on wheels back when I was a younger man. Now my body says you can't do this boy, but my pride says, heck yes, I can. (laughs) This one is easy. It just makes me smile a little. Give up. It says, oh, yes, you can. Uh, That's the line. That's not the way it sings in my head, Wade. (laughs) Toby Keith accepted a country music icon award on September 2023. And after the roaring applause died down, his first line was classic Toby Keith. He stood at the microphone towering over in with his six foot three frame, but with a little more lean because of the cancer, he grinned at the crowd and said, I bet you never thought you'd see me in skinny jeans. What a great line. (laughs) That is awesome. What a guy, Toby Keith. Folks, have a great day, and as always, we thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. We try our
1: best to give you actionable information, but in a format that does not make you want to hurt yourself.
0: Two thoughts. Some topics allow us the latitude to be a little bit more fun. Number two, if we failed you, we will try to do our best to do better in the next episode. We know that you have lots of choices, and we're honored that you chose us this time. We're kind of amazed, to be totally honest.
1: This podcast began as a project that was initially the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the former director, the executive director of ICJE.
0: Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law, my new part-time employer,
1: Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. But hey, nobody can get it all.
0: Thanks to our unsung hero, Kevin Holder. You are instrumental in our podcast being published and made available to the public. We should have been singing your praises all along, but we didn't. So
1: Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges all across
0: Georgia. Wade and I are also grateful to the State Justice Institute, who allow us to do this through their generosity.
1: You know that these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, SJI, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or anyone else for that matter.
0: Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise. Contact someone else with your complaints. But seriously,
1: we would love your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com.
0: Please visit our website, goodjudgepod.com, for all our episode outlines and more details about our podcasts. Some of you send emails asking for copies of the outlines. Seriously, people, they're available 24-7, 365 at the website goodjudgepod.com, and we say that like 20 times during every broadcast. But seriously, you can upload or download or otherwise use them as you wish and on your schedule and at your convenience. Once again, I'm Wade Pageant, And as always, I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening.